0: what is peace, what is sacrifice, what is patience. I even already added another one that we're going to talk about in future weeks, like what is hope. We start the entire series then with what is love. And maybe love is the appropriate place to start as it seems that the world today has kind of lost the concept of love. And maybe that's because our society it's kind of diluted, the word love. When you think about it, the English word love is arguably the most diluted, most meaningless, so abused word in our entire vocabulary. Because I can tell you I love Sheila. I can tell you I love you. I can tell you I love Jesus. I love our church family. I love our church. But at the same time, I can tell you I love pizza. I love peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I love taco Tierra. I love racing. I love the fall time of year. I love my children. I love my grandchildren. I love all sorts of things, and many people do. So we begin to see how this language then, our English language, the word love itself, is kind of overused, diluted at times, and maybe nearly meaningless. The casual way we kind of toss around love in our language makes me truly appreciate the Greek language. The Greek language, as you may already know, has multiple words for love. There is Storgi, which means affection or the family members' love for one another. And maybe even the way you love your pet. There's Eros, meaning the sexual, physical love. Filio, the brotherly love. And of course, there's Agape, the unconditional love. Many suggesting that that's the kind of love that only can be found in God and those who truly believe God. We can love through God the way that God loves us. It's the way we as Christians should love one another and for all mankind. But we need that love. We should be practicing that love. But the word love still stands used in all sorts of ways. Last Wednesday, for example, was Valentine's. Each day preceding Valentine's Day, early last week, primarily Monday and Tuesday, I watched these elementary children parade on the bus and bring their decorated Valentine's boxes on the bus. Some of these were quite elaborate. One girl even brought a box that resembled a shoe box, and she had taken it to the opening of the course, then she had decorated the entire top of it with a hockey. I mean, she likes to play hockey, so she had the hockey rink, and she had everything hockey on top of her box that she used for her valentine's other people had other things but they had all these decorated boxes on the bus that was used in for last wednesday for all the kids to have a little valentine party and exchange valentine's so it was valentine's day so was the exchanging of valentine's with the cards the kids had in the classroom bringing all that candy back on the bus which they couldn't wait to eat was that love or is it merely something kids do on Valentine's Day by exchanging cars? Last week, I had a coworker that needed a new battery for her car. She came out at 4.30 in the morning from the apartment building she lives in, and the car wouldn't start. She's single. She lives alone with no one to help her. So at 4.30 in the morning, she texted me and said her car wouldn't start, that she needed help. I got up. Put on my coat, my hat, and stuff, went over, drove my truck over there to her apartment, and gave her car the boost it needed so she could get to work. Is that an expression of love? Or is just one co worker, family, friend helping another? The American Ninja athlete Austin Gray shared his spare kidney with his lifelong friend Kaylee Adams. It resulted in a national Share Your Spare campaign. His giving up his kidney for someone is incredible. But is that love? Or is it just an incredible act of kindness? If those things aren't love, then what is love? Our text today then points us to the topic of love. as we look at 1 Corinthians 13, it actually is known as the love chapter. I'll refer to that as you think about the Bible people like the 1 Corinthians 13 as being the love chapter, but we're going to read and consider and contemplate what Paul is telling us then, or the Corinthian church, applying to our day today, about the topic of love. So let us open our Bibles and stand with you this morning as we begin to read the Word of God. Again, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 13 it is 13 verses. We're going to read them all. And here's what Paul then, writing to the church of Corinth, the group of believers, says in the way of love, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers that understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give up all way I have, But then face to face, now I know in part, then I shall not fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Oh, Father, Lord, we do come before you this morning, Lord, starting a new series and embarking upon some understanding of some words, Lord, that may get casually tossed around in our language. So, Lord, as we examine these words over the next few weeks, today of love, we pray, Lord, you'll speak to us and let us know, Lord, what truly love is, and how we need to, in our Christian lives, as believers reaching out to others, how we need to practice the same love you've given to us. So, Lord, I pray then that these words of message today not be words that I want to express, but the words, of Lord, the Spirit will lead and guide and direct us to. So we can leave here today. Having contemplated love, and be willing and ready to go out and love others as you've loved us. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Right, as I mentioned earlier, this 13th chapter First Corinthians is often labeled, often referred to as the love chapter. The chapter is not long as we've already read. We've read all the entire chapters, only 13 verses in length. But within these 13 verses is a very powerful wording written by the Apostle Paul all about love. Now, before we examine the text and return to the text and examine Paul's words, we should ask a couple of questions. Questions like this. I and mean, Why does Paul write such a strong wording on the topic of love? Or maybe ask a different way, Why do we even need a section in the Word of God? Why do we need a section in the Bible that examines love? Those are good questions to ask, and I refer to N.T. Wright, who maybe appropriately answers when he says the highest virtue, the greatest quality, the most Jesus-like characteristic you can imagine is love. Well, that statement by N.T. Wright Affirms what the Apostle John wrote in his first epistle in 1 John chapter 4. He said, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but he loved us, and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. I, mean, I like the entire first epistle, John. And I really like what John is saying here in the fourth chapter of his epistle. And we could easily then boil these verses we've read then of chapter 4 of 1 John down to one special phrase, actually just three words pertaining to love. Is found at the end of verse 8. Look with me again. Three words come boil it all down to this, that God is love. Now what that means to us then is this, that as Christians, as believers, as we are disciples of Christ, we should be mimicking and demonstrating God's love to all of mankind. The emphasis here upon all of mankind. I mean, as in everyone. To everyone you know, to everyone you meet. Not just those close to us. Not just to friends. Not just to family. But to everyone. We should mimic the love that God has for us that we know, that we understand, to everyone not just of those close to us, the family and friends. In fact, Luke expressed this in chapter 6. He records the words of the Lord to clarify the extent of love we should have. He says verse 32 of the 6th chapter, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be the sons of the Most High, for He is kind to ungrateful and grateful in the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Luke records the words that Jesus spoke to his disciples. Now, if you hear that, what he's telling the disciples, the extent of love that we should exhibit to others, well, doesn't really sound so easy. I mean, who really loves their enemy? When I was in high school, as a senior in high school especially, I viewed the Gibson Southern Titans as my enemy and I did not love them. When I was working at Tyson Foods and I had the USDA always around me creating havoc because I'm trying to get the chicken line to run, they're trying to shut it down, I viewed them as my enemy and I guarantee you, I did not love them. So who really loves their enemy? Or for that matter, who really loves or does good without expecting something in return? If I love Sheila, I should love her in a way where I'm not expecting anything in return. Obviously, I do. But that's the way I should be loving her. We should all love each other without expecting something in return. But here's the thing. It's not our nature to love someone who doesn't even love us or to do good without expecting something in return. But that is the expectation. That is the standard. That is the command. And so Paul then takes upon himself to write to the Corinthian church the expectations for believers as it comes to love. I mean, in short, Paul, even in the very beginning of chapter 13, he tells the believers then that without love, the right kind of love, without love, we are nothing. Look again at verses 1 through 3 with me. In the beginning, he says, I can speak in tongues of men and angels, but have not love. I'm a noisy gong or a clean cymbal. That's the English Standard Version of it. Verse 2, he says, If I have all faith so as to move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Verse 3, If I deliver of my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. I mean, observe Paul's directness. Even though verse 1 expresses nothingness as a noisy gong or clanging cymbal, essentially three times, he says, without love we are nothing. Three times the essence, he says, without love, we are nothing. Now, isn't that an interesting assertion? I mean, Paul, expression, again, three times he's voiced in, that without love, we are nothing. I mean, he's nearly suggesting that love is what gives us meaning in life. John Corson adds in our passage, Paul begins by insisting that it is love that gives meaning and appropriate flavor to all other Christian living. He stacks up all the impressive things that the Corinthians might do and asserts firmly that none of them are any advantage unless there is love as well. Even further, we consider Corson's comment Along Paul's side's assertion here that we're without love, we're nothing without love, it's interesting to hear Norfolk Stanton's comment on 1 Corinthians regarding the first three verses. He says, some people have referred to the first three verses of 1 Corinthians 13 as a description of the unredeemed person. These verses describe a person who produces nothing, is nothing, and gains nothing. Well, having heard that comment from Staten, it comp- pumps a new question in my mind. Like, if, if if we, as believers, as Christians, as people of God, as followers of Jesus Christ, if we fail to love as God loves, are we, in essence, not truly a Christian then? I mean, it could we be categorized and, and placed among the unredeemed if we fail to love like God loved? Or if we don't express or choose not to demonstrate true unconditional love to others, are we just simply failures? I mean, we're sinners. Are we sinners then because we're just rebelling to the expectation of God, considering love? I mean, these are questions to ponder. I mean, when you really think about it, I mean, how many of us how many of us can truly love unconditionally as God loves? And are we even capable of such love? I and mean, those are questions I ask myself and ask you, but I really don't know if I know the answer. But I do recognize as Paul's kind of positioning here that without love, we are nothing. Without love, we are nothing. You say, well, okay, why would you maybe say if all the things Paul is trying to express here that he's saying without love we are nothing? Why are you recognizing that? Why are you maybe keen upon that for just a moment? Because I'm thinking, without love, what do we have? I mean, do we just have dislike? Do we just have hate? And I think, not surprisingly, then, if we start really thinking about it, rationalizing our mind, that's exactly what we have about love. We just have dislike of one another, we just have hate without love. And the evidence really suggests this is the increase we find in hate crimes. The definition of a hate crime is this. It's a crime, typically one involving violence, that is motivated by prejudice on the basis of ethnicity, Religion, sexual orientation, or similar grounds. I was reading about how a recent FBI report says that hate crimes, in just the United States alone, has surged to its highest level in 12 years. Now, mostly still upon African Americans, but there is a tremendous, rapid increase in hate crimes involving those of Asian or of Jewish descent. According to the FBI report, almost 62% of victims were targeted because of the race or ethnicity. About 20% were victimized because of sexual orientation bias, and there are 13-plus percent because of religious bias. There's just hate in the air. It's the world we're living in today. It's the world that they just full of hate. I mean, has the world that we live in lost the idea and concept of love? And if they have, then what is love? If you ask the question, to what is love? To people in general, you're going to get answers like this. It's an intense feeling of deep affection. That's what love is. Love is a an intense feeling of deep affection, like fondness and tenderness and warmth and intimacy and attachment to someone. Or they may say, Is there a great interest and pleasure in something? Or they can say, I, I, Love is a person or thing that I just simply just love. And and those really are essentially the secular definitions of love. And it's a common misconception about love, that is just a feeling. Our society really believes that love is just a feeling. It's just a deep affection, a feeling I have. In fact, some researchers suggest that love is a basic human emotion, just like happiness or anger. While others believe that it is a cultural phenomenon that arises partly due to social pressures and expectations what a bunch of baloney even further i found this in other state love is like a drug as so a study from the kinsley institute found that the brain of a person falling in love was the same as the brain of a person who has taken cocaine i mean is this love a drug does does love like in this way, does this, this love overtake the body or the brain of a person? And I truly think secularly people believe this, But it just seems a bit far-fetched to me. So I kept turning the pages and digging a little deeper. I found an article by Psychology Today that has a lot to say about love, about what it is and what it isn't. And Psychology Today first said this, that love is a force of nature however much we may want to, we cannot command, demand, or take away love any more than we can command the moon and the stars and the wind and the rain to come and go according to our whims. Love is bigger than you are. You can invite love, but you cannot dictate how, when, and where love expresses itself. You can choose to surrender to love or not, but in the end, love strikes like lightning Unpredictable and irrefutable. Well, that was interesting to me, so I went on further. And I found this then. Psychology today added, Love does not come with conditions, stipulations, addenda, or additions, or codes. Like the sun, love radiates independently of our fears and desires. Love is inherently free, it cannot be bought sold, or traded. You cannot make someone love you, nor can you prevent it, nor for any amount of money. Love cannot be imprisoned, nor can it be legislated. Love is not a substance, not a commodity, not even a marketable power source. Love has no territory, no borders, no quantifiable mass or energy output. When I read that, I'm thinking, wow, I mean, That's not necessarily too bad of a viewpoint when it comes to defining love. In fact, I thought further, it comes dangerously close to what Paul was saying here in his definition of love in verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. In fact, love never ends. And Paul's definition of love is obviously contradictory to the popular misconception in the world today that love is a feeling. But Paul speaks of wisdom from God. Not the earthly brand of wisdom so many people listen to. these days are lean upon even the paraphrase called the message by Eugene Peterson which is a looser translation of Scripture even the message aligns with Paul rather than the worldly love as a drug is a feeling look what it says here but Eugene Peterson I'm gonna read them all to you but there's 17 items that he describes in with love that closely in line with Paul. And he says, love never gives up. Love care more for others than self. But further down, it says, love doesn't have a swelled head. It isn't always me first. Love doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Love puts up with anything. I mean, look at the list behind me. 17 items on the screen. In which Eugene Peterson makes an effort to say what love is. And it it's closely connected to what Paul is telling us in his gospel or in his letter he's writing to the Corinthian church about what love is, particularly verses four through eight. Now, as you look at that list, I'm not sure what jumps off the screen to you at, with the definition. But the parts I begin to focus on is about two thirds of the way down. It says love trusts God always. You see it there? Love trust God always. And think about that then for a moment. I mean, would you have ever, before we came in here today, would you have ever defined love as trust God always? I mean, for that matter, who has ever trusted God always? I mean, it isn't me. And I was probably thinking, it's probably not you. I mean, if we're honest, we have never, Have we ever always trusted God? I can't say that. There's been countless times in my almost 61 years of of living I have trusted more on self or in others than God. Now, I'm ashamed to stand before you and say that and to even admit that, but it's true. Back in 2009, when I was a plant manager for Tyson Foods, I lost my job. I just felt God lead me into ministry full-time. Enrolled in the seminary. I drove on the campus of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas. I drove onto the campus, having already mean, enrolled I and mean, been accepted to seminary, and I doubted, and I did not trust God I should be there. I haven't always trusted God. And all of us at one point in life have not fully trusted God. Even some of the biblical heroes you can find in the scriptures have not fully trusted God. I mean, Adam and Eve and Abraham and Moses and Sarah and David and Elijah, I mean, they could go on and on about people who have failed in fully trusting God. I mean, if love is God and fully trusting God, there's a lot of people who have failed. I mean, Abraham, just take Abraham for consideration. Abraham claimed Sarah, who was his wife, was his sister twice. So he didn't trust God. Moses, he struck the rock in Numbers chapter 20 because he didn't trust God, and resulted in him not even see the promise of him. He didn't get to enter it. I mean, I, I can't think of one person in my life that I know 100%, without fail, fully, always trusted God. I mean, trusting in God means that you trust Him in everything, without a doubt, without question, infinite confidence in God. I can't think of anyone who has, without a doubt, without question, having infinite confidence in God, fully trusted Him 100% of the time. I can't think of any one person except Jesus. Jesus has always, 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 always trusted the Father. And we can't say that. We can't say that if if love is applying to trust God always, we can't say that. Because we've not. So what does that mean? I mean if love is defined, then as trust God always, does it mean we cannot truly love? I think the answer is no. It don't mean we can't. It just means we can't truly love without God in our life. It means we cannot truly love without Jesus. We can go through all the motions accepting the worldly definitions of love, but we can never truly, fully love others without Jesus. I think maybe John, going back to his first epistle, said it best. In 1 John 4, 19, he says, we love because he loved us first. And how did Jesus express the love for us? Two words. The cross. He expressed his love for us on the cross. John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus loved you, mean all the world. John 3, 16, that that truth. We know it. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should perish should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus laid down his life for you, for me, for all of mankind. He was fully trusting God. He became the propitiation for our sin, for our imperfect nature, for our incapacity to truly love. Yes, I think we can have love for others, but only by loving Jesus Christ first. I remember the great commandment, Matthew 22, 37, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the great first commandment. Verse 39, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Notice we love God first, always. And it gives us ability to love others. Second, Warren Worsby in his study, he adds this. Christians are taught of God to love one another. God the Father taught us to love by sending his son and God the son taught us to love by giving his life and by commanding us to love each other the holy spirit teaches us to love one another by pouring out god's love in our hearts this is the most important lesson in the school of faith is to love one another love enriches all that it touches maybe the point is this you can enrich the lives of all kinds of people, we should love everyone, everyone equally, and we can love everyone by loving God first and foremost, which then gives us the capacity to love others even more than so. Our purpose here for week one of a new series is to simply contemplate love, to ask the question, What is love? To look at the secular way of defining love and the biblical way of defining love and seeing that we cannot truly love without Jesus. So today we kind of define love according to the scriptures, And Paul maybe defines it best. And it reminds us then that without love we are nothing. Love is not a feeling. It is not even an emotion. Love Is God, always. Believe the love that God has for you. And let the love of God abide in you. 1 John 4, 16. So we come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. I leave you with Lamentations 3, verse 22-23, which says this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. There's a scripture worth memorizing. Lamentations three twenty-two and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. If nothing else today, just simply thank God for loving you, Father. Lord, we thank you for this message today and this new series as we contemplate words, Lord, in our English language that may often get overused, abused, and maybe even turn meaningless. One of those, of course, Lord, is love. But we thank you for this message today that can remind us of what love truly is, how it is not a feeling. So many people today truly believe love is just a feeling I have for someone. Scripture is of course defined it differently, and we see then today, Lord, that love is fully trusting. Love trusts God only. Lord, today, let's just let that sink in. Let's contemplate that. Let's reflect upon the love we have for you and the love you have for us. Let us even pray today, Lord, in a moment which we'll stand together that we can receive that love if we've never received it and then be willing to share that love with others and then love them as you've loved us. A condition. But we do thank you for having that love for us. Because as sinners, we don't deserve it. But we thank you, love. We thank you, Lord, for loving us. We love you. And we thank you for the love you give us for your Son. In his name we pray.